Welcome to Upshift, the No Direction Network's Essence 20 podcast, where every two weeks we give you an edge on Essence 20. I'm Ryan Costello, one of the authors of the G.I. Joe, Transformers, and My Little Pony role-playing games from Renegade Game Studios using the Essence 20 system. And I'm Jason Keeley, the RPG developer for Renegade Game Studios. You've been doing a great job developing stuff, Jason. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate that because I, I, you know, I like to I like to hear a little a little kudos every once in a while. Kudos to you. Some of the I would say some of the stuff hasn't really come out yet. Yeah, fair. <laughs> won't be it for a little while. So you, but you out there won't know. And uh, but uh, fingers crossed. Well, on the topic of getting kudos for your work in the entertainment industry. I want to bring up something that my mom said the other day that kind of uh, got my crow, got my craw, crowed my craw. It crowed right in your craw? Crowed right okay. in my craw, Jason. Right. So she had uh, she had lunch with my cousin. Now, my cousin, uh, how do I say this? He's Groot. If you've played the Square Enix Guardians <laughs> yes. of the Galaxy video game, he voiced Groot. So he is an established oh, okay. voice actor. I mean, like, nice. it's not the most elaborate role. But it is a very popular video game, one of the most popular games that came out this past year, a recognizable character, and, you know, this is his biggest role. And his wife, I didn't know this until this conversation, his wife works in CGI and 3D animation, and she did uh, graphics on the the Call of the Wild, the uh, Harrison Ford Mm, as a wolf friend. So she worked on, you know, a major motion picture starring... Maybe in his later days, but still one of the biggest actors in Hollywood at one point. You know, the, I believe it was theatrically released. It was a 2020 movie, yeah, so yeah. it might have... Yeah, I remember It that. was in theaters? Okay. So anyway. I remember that, yeah. These are two working artists with major credits yeah. that you can point to and say, like, this is something that even if you haven't seen it, you've heard of it, you know it, this is well-established stuff. And they both happen to live together in one of the more affluent parts of Montreal. My mom and my aunt were just discussing, well, I guess they're doing okay for themselves. Like, it was very dismissive of the idea that someone could be um, full-time professional artists and afford a house in the nice part of Montreal. And, you know, as somebody that both of my jobs, my full-time job and my freelance work, it's all in the art industry. And even mm-hmm. my brothers, so I have three brothers. Uh, one of them is, uh, we went into physiotherapy as his profession. One of them went into actuarial accounting. And then the last one went into chemistry. But the chemist is also a um, national champion Irish dancer who has gone to the no. world. So like half of their, half of my mom's sons are in the arts and like passionate for it and working full time in it. Yeah. And just the idea that she doesn't, she still doesn't think of the arts as legitimate profession. At least that's my takeaway from it. It just bugs no, me. I, thi- I think there is something to some some of the older generations don't worry about. What are you going to be? Uh, go and get a philosophy degree and not make any money. But like you all go watch TV and see movies and read books, right? Yeah. Like not only like she I grew up with Entertainment Tonight was required viewing every evening. It was the news that Entertainment Tonight. Mm. So she doesn't just like the entertainment. She doesn't just like entertainment. She likes the entertainment industry and the behind the okay. scenes side of it. And yet doesn't seem to respect it as a profession. I guess you have to either if you're not on Entertainment Tonight or some similar program, you're just you, you didn't make it right now. Uh, I haven't been on Entertainment Tonight yet. Maybe someday. Do they cover Maybe RPGs? Someday. Well, I don't. I, I don't think that's a show anymore. And uh, he, yeah. uh, maybe they will one day. 
you you've been a full time professional writer for a long time. Have you ever encountered a similar attitude? Uh, what I get is uh, the other stuff, because I always talk about how I'm an editor and a writer for the most part. And I don't necessarily get into like, oh, what I'm editing and writing, um, you know, because for a while back, it was also, for a while it was crossword puzzles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just talk about growing up. And it's always like, oh, when when's your book coming out? And hey, you should write a book about me. I'm nutty yeah. and crazy. I'm like, yes, you are a nutty person family member uh but i'm not gonna really look at you. it'd be a lot of work on my part and no work on your part because i tell you're gonna be able to help me on that um and also just like i mean i have stuff with my name on the front of it right you know it's by jason Kelly, right um there it is get her home i i want to show this to people but also i know that a lot of my family won't get it yeah. what that means like oh yeah you get your name on the front of something but it's not a, it's not really a book because they don't really know about the the depression however my you know uh my stepdad and his wife are, are pretty um uh, uh, uh supportive they're like oh yeah they know that i do a weird thing they don't understand but they're always like if you're having if you if you like what you do and you're and you're having a good time that's that's what's important because you know he uh he did a lot of work in construction basically all of his life and so that's sort of a you know but he's liked too, right? He liked to do that kind of stuff. But it was also, you know, it's a, it's, it's uh, uh, physically more demanding work. So when I told people that I was working on the GI Joe RPG and I posted this on Facebook, yeah. it got a certain reaction from like people who really understood how this is a big deal, especially for me specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my mm-hmm. family was mostly just giving me like, oh, congratulations, that's nice. But weirdly, when I also announced that I was working on the My Little Pony role playing game, for some reason that seem more legitimate because I have a feeling just GI okay. Joe stuff just gets dismissed as soon as I post it because they're like, yes, this is the thing oh, he's yeah. posting <laughs> about. But as soon as it was like, yeah. Oh, wait a second, my little pony. That's not a thing we know him for. He's actually getting work on projects. That's, <laughs> this is interesting. And so the, just the tone to my family's posts to that particular announcement was different. That's interesting. That's very interesting. I, you know, it's all this. It's all been the same. You know, some some people that maybe I went to like high school and college with, are like, oh, oh, neat. You know, but tra- you know, Transformers and GI Joe and, and Power Rangers and stuff, but nothing uh, 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 earth shaking, I would say, tone wise. So when I went to my high school reunion, trying to remember, I guess it was about ten years ago now because I, I didn't have my daughters yet. When people were saying like, so what do you? working on now what are you into and at that point i was just kind of doing some freelance stuff from paizo from time to time i basically had to pre preface it by saying like how nerdy of an answer do you want because before i could tell you <laughs> what i'm doing i have to explain an entire industry that you might not know exists sure yeah i mean that, that's why i fall back on editing and writing at the end <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of our banter we're moving on to our topic of art and art orders now, All right. when I, because, you know, I've, I've been picking the, uh, the topics for our podcast so far. You, of course, let me know anytime you want to talk about it, but I feel like I'm doing you the <laughs> sure, favor yeah. by picking the topics for the episodes. I love it. Okay, great. Yeah. So um, I, I'm always wondering like, okay, so is this for players? Is this for fans of these uh, properties? Or is this mm-hmm. sometimes for people that are interested in the industry side of things, especially people that are interested in getting into the industry? And I see this more mm-hmm. as like that third group of people, especially sure, yeah. because recently, and we talked about this briefly in Cold Iron, how there were a couple of established character or original characters that accidentally were given yeah. art uh, based on established characters. So now it's the freelancers mm-hmm. that are handling the art orders, or at the very least, they have to explain what's an original character more clearly, what's what's an established yeah. character. Yeah, helpful. So if anyone is interested in freelancing for Renegade, they 
should know that writing art orders will be a part of their job at this point. Yes, but it's not. Um, I would I would say that that it's not uh, an onerous part, right? It's just basically like most of the time you might be describing someone in the text itself, and then you can just kind of often take that text and kind of like this is what I want this person to look like and point towards it, and then you're done, right? For that for that one piece or whatever. Yeah, and honestly, like if if people are freelancing on something for GI Joe, I'm open to them reaching out to me and asking for help with art orders. Oh, yeah. I really enjoy yeah. writing art orders, which is funny. Because uh, we've discussed in the past, I'm not a visual person. Mm-hmm. If I bring up yeah. Param, my co-host on No Direction, it's not like if I'm bringing up an ex with my wife, right? Like, you're okay with me bringing no, an anecdote what? up about I mean, Param? we have, uh, the three of us have been on podcasts together, so it's not exactly like an ex situation, know, right? This is just someone changed. that we podcast together. Eh, fair enough. I'm not weird about that kind of stuff, no. Uh, at one point, he and I were talking, I think it was on our episode, we were talking to uh, Hero Forge, and mm. I I asked the question, like, do most people know what their role-playing game characters look like? And it was one of the few times that I just, like, baffled Param, <laughs> the idea that there are people, right. people who don't know what their characters look like. But in general, I'm not someone who uh, thinks a whole lot about that. And I even read over Xavier's art over, so Xavier, that uh, actual play mm-hmm. that you were just mentioning that we both play on, Xavier is my yeah. elven bard. And uh, in the art order, it, it explicitly talks about his abs and how he has to have some kind of cutaway on his shirt or his armor that shows <laughs> off his abs. This is a very important visual part of him. But everything else in that order was just kind of the vibe that Xavier yeah. has. It was very little about, you know, hair color, eye color, skin tone. And that is just kind of how I think of him as just this blob of Xavier with great abs. With abs. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, that's, I, I think when I'm thinking about art art for, for a book, I, I go both ways. Sometimes I think, I, oh, I really want to see something very specific, especially if it's an adventure. I want to see the scene or whatever. But if I'm thinking about like maybe like a specific character that I don't have a lot of detail on, I don't mind. I, I think it's important to give artists a, a kind of leeway. A little bit here and there, and be like this is an elf who is kind of mean looking. Not, not, not this is not Xavier, but you know, an elf who kind of looks mean and and maybe uh, as uh, kind of got Spock vibes about him, right? And then you just go, yeah, there you go. Um, I think that was actually something uh, from a Starfinder Adventure Path that it's something like that that I that I gave as an art brief, um, and it came out great. And sometimes you get stuff back, and it's just like I was not expecting this, but it looks great, and I love it. Um, sometimes you get stuff back, you're like, okay. Th- when you see it and you're like, okay, that's, I know what I don't want at this point. Uh, and can we tweak it here and there, right? If you're just getting a sketch back and that's the sort of fun back and forth. Uh, and sometimes it, you know, you don't get what you want uh, uh, because it's, you know, uh, uh, you didn't give enough information to begin with. And it's kind of, you know, on, on, on you in a lot of ways, but um, I, I, I love the, uh, the uh, working with, with all the artists that we get to work with in a semi-indirect way because we often work through somebody, uh, especially, you know, if you're, you're freelancing, you're going to be writing it and that's going to pass probably through a, a developer who's going to then pass that on to an art director who's going to then pass that on to an artist. So you get a little bit of a, uh, hopefully not a telephone because you're writing things down, uh, but um, I, as a, you know, a professional sense working as a developer, get to do a little bit of feedback but it's often through the art director it's like oh you know uh the way we have it now it's though it's it's all one uh, kind of like we're doing slack oh, we have a slack group that sort of says artists like here's the sketch what do y'all think and then 
the art director says, oh, cool, what do you, and then, hey, Jason, what do you think? And I like, I agree, or I, I think it should be a little more red or whatever. Um, and so, you know, but the, the artist gets that directly, but it is sort of incumbent on the art director to be the con point of contact. I think I may have skipped a million steps there, actually. <laughs> Rewind it and to sort of uh, go from, from the beginning and then work our way up to where we're actually looking at sketches. So I've worked like I've I've commissioned artists for unique pieces, and that's different mm, from yeah. writing art orders. Because generally, my first question is like, "What do you want from the art order? Like, do you want it detailed with every yeah. uh, every angle covered, or do you want me to give you a lot of creative freedom and I just give you a couple of points that are like must-haves?" And so, before we get to the art order, there's a dialogue. Which uh, now, as a freelancer, which are Everything you just described, that whole funnel that it goes through, I'm one yeah. step removed from that. And so, like, yeah, I cannot ask the artist, and I have to do the art order that covers as many different ways an artist could approach art as possible. I'm still new to it. I haven't gotten any feedback on it, so mm -hmm. I hope the stuff that I have turned over is fair. But I, I am enjoying the process. Well, uh, there was a, a project that we can't talk about uh, yet, that Ryan, that you helped me out immensely on a art order because i was just kind of like early in early days just kind of, i don't know what to do this is actually sort of a special thing too that reason why we can't talk about it uh, uh will become clear yeah. once it gets hopefully announced i just want to say this is the book that i want to be able to talk about of all the things that we have not talked about <laughs> i know it's right? so exciting but anyway we've yeah. said too much if, uh, no it's not too much just it's a okay. little taste uh, but one of the uh, this all actually starts uh, should start, I think, in a, a back before even actually like, or while things are getting ordered to be written. You want to look at a book and be like, "This is an X number of page book. This is the budget we have for art uh, for this book. How many pieces can we fit? And what are they? You know, what kind of size they might be? Hey, we should get. We're going to have a lot of individual characters in this book, so we need X number of character pieces of art." That can maybe be used as pawns, standees, that kind of thing that sort of set out separately or onto like a character sheet or something like that. Um, and then how many pieces do we want are like giant chapter openers? Uh, how many pieces do we want that are just sort of mood pieces, maybe half a page-ish down the corridor? You know, you know, you've you know, all seen the, the Renegade book. Some of the, the art kind of isn't necessarily boxed into just a column or, you know, half a page or whatever. They're just kind of whatever fits. Um, so that's the sort of, I guess I would say the first, the first and biggest step is just sort of figuring out what, how much art now often, uh, uh, will probably should be telling the freelancer, but this is going to have X number of pieces in it when you're writing it. If you could just, if you, if you see some stuff that looks, you know, uh, like a, a spot where you might want to showcase something, uh, let us know. Right. But know that don't give us a million giant pages of, you know, full pages of piece of art because we can't order all those. So I, I know that for my most recent uh, adventure that I'm working on right now, and this is the first time that I've had w the art expectations up front. It specifically said, like, yeah. we have uh, this bus budget for this many unique characters. And then if you could give us art orders for two half pages and one full page piece of art. And so that informs me going into it. Like, if, I, if this project only has money for a certain number of unique characters then I got to take this original outline I had that had like five unique characters and see, oh, mm -hmm. could some of these be established characters? And then maybe we could use our catalog of, uh, of yeah. uh, brand or of uh, publisher provided art, licensee art. Um, yeah. And, and so like 
knowing what art, uh, what our art budget could cover impacted how I was writing it. And so I'm much happier to have that way at the beginning instead of at the end being Never. like, can we cut one of these original characters? And then I'm like, <laughs> I have been with these original characters for four months and now one of them has to die. Mm, yeah, it is unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, uh, that is uh, just, uh, you know, just w with things being planned out a little more in advance, I think well, that will be more obvious that we can be talk to the free, have everything sort of planned ahead of time so we know what the, you know, budget is and all that um that is uh, something to to that you brought up the licensee art is interesting too because renegade has also a catalog of uh, comic book art mm. uh from the idw runs that we are allowed to use when it is appropriate uh, uh although obviously most of the covers will be used because those are the kind of nice big splashy things and and don't have <laughs> word balloons uh, uh oh, that yeah. would need to get cut out um but uh, uh those covers uh do can be maybe specific which when well, then we can't use them but if it, there's a you know something we can sort of crop out a picture of Soundwave or, or or duke or something that's on a cover of a comic book uh then we, you know we've been recently i say encouraged to sort of think about that uh where we can kind of not it's not necessarily reusing art because it's not being used hasn't been used in a renegade product before but it is a established piece of a, a art that's already been made that is i guess i think free to renegade to use i think i think it is they part of the licensee agreement yeah. yeah i don't know i yeah. i am completely removed from any conversations there i just know that from my end if i could suggest uh pieces from comics and whatever that saves everyone some time and i believe some money but it does yeah, yeah, yeah. harken back to like uh pulp magazines and stuff where you would just get here's one elaborate piece of art now just write a story about it and that's what would get published uh, a lot of the time people think that the art is based on the words, but a lot of the time, because art takes longer and is more elaborate and is more expensive mm -hmm. and words are a lot more malleable and flexible, a lot of the time the art comes first or at least is early enough. And I know if there's art that just is completely contradicting the words, it's a lot easier to change the words. Oh, definitely. If you're saying in the text that someone is green with spiky, you know, green spiky hair and you get back someone with a flick back, you know, Raven's hairdo. Uh, you you change the you change the words because <laughs> it doesn't matter uh, unless there's something like definitely. And that's why the 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 sort of sketch phase, uh, uh, the feedback phase is kind of important to sort of realize oh where things are going wrong to try to correct it so that when uh, everything gets laid out, you don't have to worry about making those changes. Now there is a Paizo product that comes to mind as like the best example of this. I think it is Orcs of Galarian, where at one point it says that they don't use rich dyes like purple and red and then every page would be a clan's banners and 90 percent of them had either purple or red and like that's uh, something that's yeah. like oh had you just caught that yeah, yeah. and just eliminated that one line because now the whole book yeah. contradicts it it happens i'm not trying to throw it anybody happens. under the bus it's just a great example yeah no it does it it, it, it isn't you know uh, yeah one of those things that sort of as much as you can get them to 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 jibe obviously the 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 best better uh there's one point that i want to bring up and that is in the importance of art in role-playing games if you we think way back to when third edition became 3.5 edition of dungeons and dragons besides mm -hmm. just a change in rules there was a change in production value in that in 3.0 you had the hardcover core rule books and then the supplemental material was the soft cover black and white books Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In 3.5, it all went to everything's a hardcover, everything's full color on the inside, everything's more expensive as a result. 
And I really do mm-hmm. believe one of the reasons that people accepted 3.5, even though it was not too long after 3.0, and a lot of us had to buy the same books we had just bought a couple of years earlier. I really think yeah. this upgrade in production value and this upgrade in uh, color uh, art made those 3.0 books look way older than they really were. And we were ready to move on to this higher mm. production value. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> How many art orders have you written in your day, Jason? Oh, no. I, they, I they, want an exact number. That you'd have to start basically thinking about how many products I developed over the years, essentially, is the answer uh, uh, for the most part. Um, oh, lordy lord. Uh, it's I don't think it's been a, in the triple digits. Oh, really? But it is up there. It is up there. It's got to be up there. It's Okay, talk about like five years in as, as actual developer, six ish, uh, you know, as you know, working as an editor, you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, as the developer, uh, you know, you and and we're talking about like in, in some cases pieces, right? Uh, and when it comes to like pretty much uh, an adventure path volume, most of it's written by 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 one person, a hardcover book more piecemeal right you know just sort of what did you develop oh what's the art for that uh that kind of stuff so uh uh if you were talking about like f- full books altogether, yeah that shrinks the number down but just sort of four art based four products many 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 very many and it's um i feel like i have gotten better at it over the years too as well all the practice so just to be clear when i said oh really it wasn't saying like no you couldn't possibly be up to triple digits i thought you were going to say maybe you're in the four digits but you're definitely oh in i don't the think digits no, oh. definitely in the trip. Uh, you know what? I'm thinking about like maps mm. and some other stuff that might that might push it over to triple digits. Now we're talking about like books. Now let's talk about individual. How many pieces of art have I ordered? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a different story. That is, of course, probably going to be close to uh, close to four digits, right? Yeah. Because you know, a single adventure path, for instance, uh, you know, has at least twenty pieces of art that I'm ordering for it, if not more. That's including maps and stuff like that too. So yeah, it's a, that requires you to, you know, write a lot of words or sometimes it's just like, hey, this is a, uh, you know, this is a, this is a human. Here's, yeah, oh, we don't need a reference point for human. But like, this is a rat <laughs> hey, folk. what? Uh, uh, who now? Uh, this is a Yusoki. Here's a little, you know, maybe a little note to this. This is what they look like. Um, most of the core stuff, I would say for Starfinder, didn't really know this one. You had to like say, this is a, you know, uh, and now I can't think of any uh, Brenari, right? The outer people, uh, you know, that provide a little uh, note to that. But that, but it's just the Brenari whose fur is a little grayer and who's wearing a funky hat. And that's kind of maybe all you need, to write. Um, big scenes for it, though. You were going to require this person is doing this, and, and in the background, maybe there's something exploding, et cetera, et cetera. So it varies. So, sometimes you can get through many, many pieces of art in a day. Sometimes it takes you a while. Maps, I guess, are the most complicated because you kind of have to point everything out to the to the cartographer uh uh if you make sure that so it fits whatever you're doing uh those take a little longer right what makes a good cover art order what makes a good cover art order a cover art order has to be uh eye-catching exciting but not too busy Mm. i think uh you want to basically kind of you want to be able to like Look at the look at the book and be able to tell what the book is about without even having to read the back of the book or even maybe the title of the book. Mm-hmm. If you can pick up a book and say, "Well, this is clearly a book about magic," 
you know, that's in the name of it. Hey, great. You've done a You've done a fairly good job. Um, if you've got people excited, you know, just grab this and be like, I want to run this adventure even better. Right. You know, um, adventure paths, uh, you know, for Paizo are interesting is that there were always two pieces of art, mm-hmm. sort of a scene and then a figure, which you, you know, want to say, oh, this scene is going to happen in the adventure. So you better make it an exciting part of the adventure. And this person is going to be a big deal in the adventure. So you better, you know, make them kind of interesting to look at. Um, when you're talking about like a good a hardcover, yeah, you want to throw a couple people on there, uh, probably, uh, uh, unless it's specifically a book that doesn't, uh, that's not about people in any way, uh, like a book about vehicles or something like that. So even then you might want to, you have a mechanic or, or, or something along those lines. Um, and you just want to have them, have it be dynamic and exciting. I don't know how else to, what else to say. Uh, I once did a parody of the, like the Pathfinder Adventure Path type cover for Die Hard. And it was Bruce Willis mm. in the front, and in the back was the Nakanomi Plaza, just like with police mm-hmm. helicopters and stuff flying around it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So just to give people probably an example that everyone should be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess the thing you could think a little bit about it like a movie poster. Some movie posters have that. You know that Star Warsy kind of feel, which like here's a bunch of heads, yeah, and 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 you kind of you know you may not want to do that for a book. I think a, a sort of a coherent scene is probably the best way to go, um, unless somehow you are you're. I mean, if you're doing a thing that is even if it is a past, yeah, like like got a lot of things happening, like uh, groups of things happening, like is they don't they should be connected in a way that makes it look more physical. So you've got like something on a road and then you've got, uh, you know, maybe that road is overlooking an ocean and that there's a ocean battle or something rising up out of the ocean, right? That instead of just saying, here's a sea monster and here's a car, you know, make more coherent. That would be my thoughts. Now I know when Larry Hama, who was the uh, writer of most G.I. Joe comics over the last 40 years, he, before he was a writer, he was an artist. And so when he does art orders for covers, he includes a sketch of how he thinks uh, mm. things should be laid out. Have you ever gone that direction? I no, I don't. I'm not an artist in the slightest. I I, I can. I have a little more. I think I'm a little more of a visual thinker than you. I do maybe think a little in terms of like movie poster or 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 scenes, uh, how they would be filmed. So I do try to like give a little bit of like this person's in the front, this person's in the back. But uh, I know uh, not every artist wants that. Um, so you just be like, this scene has four people in it. And then, you know, you tell who the people are and they they put them in and then they're fighting each other. And then, the, you know, whoever's in the front, whoever's in the back, it will be sort of up to the to the artist itself. But sometimes it's important to be like, these two people are fighting each other and there's maybe something happening in the background. Uh, yeah, I've, in fact, even gone for a couple of the art orders just of three layers deep where it's like, here's really mm-hmm. close up to the camera. And it's almost like they're the point of view of the reader or they're just taken in the scene immediately in front of them is this threat behind them is a greater threat. And so you're just kind of like laying out a lot more than, yeah. uh, than I normally do. Uh, and that's when I have a very specific idea, which I don't usually have. Oh, good. Well, I mean, I, I think it's important to be specific when you want, if you want something mm. from an artist, uh, 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 cause you're not going to do yourself any favors by writing a vague art order and then being disappointed when it isn't exactly what it is in your head. Yeah. You know, because you know, again, like I said earlier, it's kind of uh, up to, up up to you, the person writing the art brief, to to convey what you'd like to see. Of course, all that being said, you can't be constricted 
completely by your vision because this is a collaborative effort and and you know while we're uh word artists we're not uh color and shape artists uh and those people are professionals uh uh and they know what they're doing and if someone if, if a professional says i don't think this would look good like this i'd be like you're right <laughs> that's generally what i say is like yeah you're right probably so go for it change it up you know now what about full page and half page scenes is that something that like is there a lot different between uh, an art order for a full page scene versus a half page scene not too different, but like since you <laughs> did be very mercenary about it, you are paying more for a full page piece of art, so it should be more interesting. Yeah. Uh, it should not just be something that's a bore, a scene that is boring. Uh, not that I mean, all your art should be slightly interesting, but like you would never order a full page piece of art of an empty garage. <laughs> no, I hope that? not. Uh, but you might have a little like an outside of a hanger as a sort of a not even a half page, but sort of like a kind of like almost like a quarter page piece. This is what this building looks like, for instance, from the outside. And that's a nice little reference point. Maybe, you know, if you're doing something in an adventure to show people or, or some sort of setting book, be like, here's here's Nakatomi Plaza before it all blew up. Um, you know, it, you know, you see and you can see that it's a very tall building stretched out at, in downtown L.A. and and whatnot. But um, but a full page piece of art. Again, you almost want to think of them like covers, I would say. Uh, no, I think I'm ready to move on to talking about the four different brands that we are writing art mm -hmm. orders for that people know about. Just, oh, yeah. I didn't do the thing. I uh, I should mention before we begin, or now that we're yes. more than halfway done, although we both work for Renegade on Essence20 in some capacity, Upshift is not associated with or produced by Renegade Game Studios. This is not an official Essence20 podcast. I, it's right at the top of my outline, right before banter. I know. Muscled right past oh. it when right into banter. Well, you're very excited to talk about Groot. I was. Well, you know, I, I've actually been really excited about this topic for some reason. I don't know. I, I just really <laughs> felt like talking about art. Uh, talking about Power Rangers. Boy, Power Rangers mystifies me in a lot of ways as like a creative person <laughs> if I were to approach it. Because when you're talking about designing a new, uh, an original Power Rangers character, if you needed to. Sure. Like, it's it's just different geometric shapes and different sets of two or three tones, right? Like, like how do you set uh, a character apart? I Well, uh, I'll tell you something that I was actually looking at last week uh, at Power Rangers something. And I was, I exclaimed, hmm. this is... Uh, Power Rangers, what are you doing? What what am I looking at? Uh, and that is the character, and I don't know if you're familiar with the character of Snizzard. Uh, it's a bad guy. Yeah. Uh, Snizzard is a snake lizard. Mm -hmm. Fine. I, the name is, you know, it's, it, it evokes snake and lizard. However, he's not a snake this, wizard? Snake, no, a snake lizard. Hey, he should be a snake wizard, shouldn't he? No, he is an archer. <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, but he's kind of, kind of someone with kind of like a lizard body and with arms and legs that are made out of coils of snakes, just multiple snakes. It looks like nice. he's got a giant bow that also kind of has made sort of out of snakes, uh, a little bit. And for some reason, he has a golden apple attached to his head. So when you were saying snizzard, this was all sounding vaguely familiar. And the one thing I was really waiting for you, it's like, he has an apple, doesn't he? On his head. Yeah. I mean, I get the reference. Yeah. It's a William Tell reference, shooting an arrow. But like, it's so bizarre 
to me that this is something that I I, I assume is I, I don't know I actually think I didn't actually think to look it up whether or not it's actually in a show or if it was just maybe just something from a one of the comic books but uh, it's in the Power Rangers uh, core rule book go look it up that is I'm just like what 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 so I think I think Power Rangers doesn't necessarily I mean power the Power Rangers themselves you know bright colors sort of geometric shapes on the uniforms and that kind of stuff but all the other baddies are weird in a good way and and i think a fun way that that lets you be like this guy's gonna get huge and we're gonna get to punch him with our robots um and i want to see a giant i mean a clown that turns into a weird uh pineapple octopus which i think is actually ends up being called pine octopus um perfect perfect exactly you know like okay sure uh i got it <laughs> i guess so param explained why this is and why the monsters have certain designs. Hmm. So we've got Finster here. I'm holding up the page. Finster. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Finster's the one who creates the monsters and he only gets humanity about 50, 50. And so he starts with the idea of like, Oh, this is something that humans are scared of and doesn't okay. quite land it. <laughs> that's, I mean, Hey, that's great. I mean, there's a reason for why things are so weird. And then you get to be weird making up new stuff. Uh, and then you'd be like, Hey, you know, it's the classic. A wizard did it in this time. Finster. A Finster did it. Finster did it. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, that makes a lot of sense because you see a lot of like uh, 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 things I'm reading. Art briefs have things I haven't actually seen a lot of pictures of, but like, yeah, this is bizarre. <laughs> um, and the other thing about Power Rangers art orders in the rare times that have anything to do with Power Rangers and art is that it seems like the name of the show is also accepted as the name of that character. So like you can't just say red Ranger. Cause that applies to a dozen characters have all gone by the name. Red oh, Ranger. Yeah. But if you say yeah, turbo red Ranger, even if he's not referred to in Canon as the turbo red Ranger, because he's from the turbo series. And I'm assuming there's a yeah. turbo red Ranger. Uh, there is, there is. Okay. There is, there is. So yeah. So that's, that's the language that we on the creative side are supposed to use to talk about these characters for things like art order, but probably not for actual like in world text that we're writing. Yes. It, I mean, I think there's some, you know, we, we talk a little bit about the specifics when you're talking about a specific type of ranger, the, you know, the Zeo Rangers and all the other types. Um, I can't remember that there is, there is a way to t that c c refer to the sort of m mighty Morphin power Rangers. They sort of, first i guess right are they the morphin the red morphin ranger the red galaxy no not the galaxy ranger i can't remember i'm just glad i don't Something. have to deal with that yeah fair enough <laughs> uh, moving on to gi joe i i feel like gi joe is the easiest like we don't need as many There's original characters because they have so many just troop types yeah. that fill yeah, yeah. most of the gaps and we've got resources like 3d joes and yojo.com that just have amazing photos of every toy that's ever come out and there was mm -hmm. that uh, battlefront game that came out not too long ago it was uh it was an app game where you were collecting cards and there are hundreds mm -hmm. of gorgeous pictures of art of gi joe that although the wow. game isn't available anymore you can find them online easy enough with a, a google search so there's the reference material is all out there plus it's had comics since 82 mm -hmm. almost uninterrupted so there's all kinds of it's just so easy to point to specific character and say like this look, yeah. here's art for it, you know, do whatever pose you want, but just make sure he looks like that. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, one of the, I don't have much else to yeah. say. <laughs> so one of the issues <laughs> with GI Joe art orders is the uh, male to female ratio. 
Uh, yes, that's true. That is yeah, true. so that's why some characters that might be more obscure, like Bob Strike, uh, shows up a lot in the art because, you know, we can't have the 95 to 5% ratio that we actually have of male G.I. Joe characters to female presenting G.I. Joe characters. Uh, it, it would just be, it would just be too much. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's, it's unfortunate uh, when it's, we're, you know, talked a little bit about this when we talked about licensed properties, that episode, but like sometimes things in the property or license don't necessarily match up to the way you want to present to the, with your product to the rest of the world, right? You know, so yeah. you got to change it no, <laughs> where you can, not change it, but like skew it, I guess one would be a better word. No, on the plus side, we're not the first people to have that problem. So uh, mm. characters like Baroness and Zorana, like their toys were long off the shelves, but they were still appearing in the car in the comic because they had to, because otherwise there would just yeah. be no female characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. true. Uh, Transformers. Transformers is interesting. I haven't actually written the Transformers art order yet, but I have uh, commissioned original art from uh, Jacob Blackman. I was going to say our friend. I assume you know Jacob Blackman. I know Jacob. Yeah, he's yeah. a good guy. And he's been doing a lot of... Uh, Transformers-like art for people that are looking for the original character art for their Transformers role-playing games. And one of the fun things about commissioning Transformers art is you just have to find a picture of a vehicle and say, like, mm -hmm. now turn this into a robot. And you yeah, can yeah, just yeah. emphasize what parts you want to go where, how bulky you want it to be. I had uh, Jacob create a Zamboni Transformer for me because it had never been done. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, fun. Zamboni. Well, yeah. Zamboni is like the Kleenex name. It's actually called an Ice Sweeper. Uh, sure. But yeah, so I, I found him one. I said like, so I want him to look like a cross between Casey Jones and Bulkhead. And so it's like big bulky mm -hmm. guy. He's got his face is like a hockey mask. Oh, uh, we talked a little bit about Short Pact, uh, the the web comic about. Yes. So there is an amazing issue that is perfect for when we're talking about Transformers art orders. Uh, he has these like straw man customers who come in and just complain about modern stuff how it's not uh, reflective of how they were as a kid and so one guy was mm -hmm. complaining about how the new transformers toys don't have the character that the old transformers toys do and then the the, the self-insert character ethan who works at the toy store would uh, be pithy about them and he was like they all had the same face like <laughs> ironhide is just Man. that face with a mohawk and then this other guy is that face with the, the fan in the front and then prowl has the mohawk and the fan like <laughs> that's the personality you're describing and then when the guy like leaves in a huff he's like well somebody's mohawky today <laughs> that's funny i i also have had uh my own experience ordering original trans quote-unquote transformers uh a while back uh because there was an old d20 in 3.5 years supplement for a transformers like game uh with the uh, the the serial numbers right called like mechamorphosis nice um and uh, I ran a one shot of that and had someone draw a bunch of the the the, the, the pre gen characters and it was fun. It had like a and at that point this is this is this was the time where uh, PDAs were a thing, more of a thing. Personal digital assistants. Oh, there we go. I.e. Like, the pom pom public displays of affection. Where are you going with yeah, this? Yeah, there's a yeah, fair enough. Palm pilots and and the like, right? So one of the characters was a little and had like had the little stylus as a staff, so they were a little a little transformer. And then someone was like a giant tank slash helicopter stuff so yeah yeah I, I still have that art um uh and uh i really probably should have uh brought it over here before yeah, that would be cool. recording yeah 
when you're writing art orders for Transformers, how like do you say he's got to be in his bot mode versus in alt mode? Uh, I think it's important to for the scene generally. Generally, you want to have people uh, Transformers characters I think in their bot mm-hmm. mode because they're you're writing this robot unless you want to like oh now it's a car chase so now it's a car chasing a jet or whatever you know. Uh, but uh, uh, generally, of course, those are meant to look identical to vehicles, so it's difficult maybe there's a trans you know a decepticon or an autobot logo on there but they're supposed to not be able to tell them apart from regular cars so there's you want to know that whether or not you're looking at a piece of art that is just two regular cars or is it actually transformers no you want to know the transformers so you you show them as robots generally every now and then you'll get a comic panel that will just be like an autobot in bot mode decepticon or sorry no uh, autobot and decepticon in alt mode facing off Mm -hmm. and somehow there's tension like somehow you could feel the emotion that this sure, truck yeah, and this yeah. car are feeling. <laughs> That's funny. I like it. Um, Transformers also kind of has a little bit of the male to female ratio yeah. problem as well um so that's why you're seeing a lot of like rc and alita one in like the core rule book yeah. uh not as i think widely known transformers but there's chromia and i think moonstone okay. like they're both the t- kind of teal sports cars and it's i have trouble mm-hmm. telling them apart but they both show up fairly often because we need them to there's actually yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. here i own only two combiners one of them is dinobots that came out that were combiners and then this is uh, oh, uh victorian yeah. i think that's her name every single component here is a female character oh, including the great. legs or helicopters their sisters and then the <laughs> um the main body is pyra magna she's a fire truck but they're from a planet mm. with um ascetic water so she's more like a flamethrower than a fire truck oh, yeah and that's why they have this like greenish Tinge, it's supposed to look like they started as red and they all got rusty. Okay. So the thing is, like, here's here's six characters. This is this chest plate is a motorcycle. I think her name is Rust Dust. I don't know. She doesn't have she's not great. Uh she just fell off. <laughs> um oh. <laughs> so the, the thing is, like, here's six characters, but it's kind of weird if we were to just use one arm and have them mm-hmm. featured prominently yeah. in one of the uh books. Yeah, fair enough. But anyway, that's six characters that are technically at our disposal if you want to add some more diversity to the ranks. And they're cool. Like, this is a very cool team. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. All right, next up, we've got My Little Pony. So I recently did a My Little Pony art order. Now, here's the thing. You might think My Little Pony is pretty straightforward since all the characters are just, you know, like a couple of solid colors. You describe their cutie mark and maybe then you're done. But so much of a My Little Pony character's personality uh, is in their main style, their hairstyle, because it's one of the only differentiators. It's basically their cutie mark and their main style. And so uh, when I was doing this art order, I uh, had three original characters. One of them was male, two of them were female. And so I looked up uh, like 2022 professional fashionable hairstyles uh, for men. And I came up with some good uh, reference pictures for for the one male character, and I grabbed that, and that was great. And then for the female characters, I tried to do the same thing, and everything is, like, paywalled, and, like, just access to the female side of the fashion industry is much more restricted. And so I could Mm. either settle for a thumbnail, or I can settle for a less professional-looking photograph. I was not expecting that to be a hurdle that I had to get over when I was doing my little pony art order. 
That is interesting. I mean, you know, to get into a wider topic about <laughs> and, uh, you know, gender dis- disparity yeah. and, and, and in terms of like what the fashion industry, but definitely the two of us should not be talking about that. Right. Because <laughs> this is my first experience with it. Fair enough. Yeah. And then the other thing is that um, just trying to find really cool shades of color for their coats mm. and for their manes, because again, there's so little that differentiates one pony from another because the body type is shared by like at least 50% of the ponies, um, if yeah. not more. Like there's very few different variations in the body types. And so you really want to capture that character in that color. And so suddenly I'm getting into color theory of like, this is this character's personality. Yeah. What is the color of that personality? Or what is the color of that profession? And how do I differentiate it with just like a tweak of a shade? And then I have mm-hmm. to make sure, oh, wait, but any other character that falls under that same category of personality or profession or whatever, who exists to make sure that I'm not copying their color. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah so <laughs> for just the few details that I have to work with, I had to work hard for those art orders. Well, well, well done. I have not touched the My Little Pony uh, stuff yet. <laughs> and as, as that... Just looking into the My Little Pony, making those art orders, what is one of the main reasons I even wanted to do this topic? Because it was really like, unlike any other art order I'd worked on, I had to use parts of my brain I do not use. I am not in the fashion mm. industry. I am not interested yeah. in the fashion industry. I like t-shirts and crew cuts. <laughs> I would, I mean, another small tangent. I would like to be, I, I like what I look like when I dress mm. up. And I would like to be the kind of person that maybe sometimes wears a tie and a suit for no reason. But also, I am also a hoodie and a, a patterned button-up shirt guy yeah. more than anything else. <laughs> so I, I, it's conflicting, you know. But uh, you know, throw you know, I I own a tuxedo. Probably doesn't fit me anymore. But like you know, hey, I went out and bought myself a tuxedo. Yes, uh, uh, because I wanted to have a tuxedo. Right. I don't change my hairstyle much between when I'm going to work or when I'm going out to like a fancy dinner, but I will change my clothes Yeah, and I will get compliments on like, wow, you really clean up nice. And I'm like, this is the same. This is where my personality is. <laughs> yeah. Why is yeah, it from fair, the yeah. neck down? Why does that matter? Cause like, I don't have a cool logo on this fancy shirt I'm wearing. My other clothes should <laughs> be way cool. Here, look, I'm wearing my Lego evolution going from a single, oh, very like, nice. yeah, very I wore cute. that to the science museum. Yeah. So I was like, uh, appropriately dressed as far as I'm concerned. Like I put way more thought into <laughs> this t-shirt based on where <laughs> I was going today. Uh, I think again, that's another like weird uh, uh, gender disparity sort of situation yeah. where the men are not supposed to, you know, or not given that sort of, you look nice all the time. Mm-hmm. You can wear whatever you want uh, as a, as a, as a guy generally. Uh, and you don't have to wear it. But then when you dress up, it becomes a big deal. Mm-hmm. And it really shouldn't be a big deal. We, people could, People should just wear whatever they want, really, honestly. Any gender. We're about ready to wrap things up. Any final thoughts? Actually, I had uh, there was something you mentioned that reminded me. This wasn't an art order I wrote, but uh, for one of the mm. Pathfinder books that I wrote, uh, it was Pathfinder Legends, and we were told mm-hmm. to include art orders for a couple of characters. For uh, okay, so Pathfinder Legends for people who don't know, it was uh, like. 16 chapters, each chapter is dedicated to one NPC in the world of Glarian. Like it really was a close look on this one character and the way they look at the world informs you about the world. I think it's an amazing book and I had a lot of fun writing on it. And so I was writing a gnome from Numeria 
uh, Numeria being where a spaceship landed in otherwise barbarian lands. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I was covering a lot of ground with this one character. And at one point, I just decided that he had a best friend who was a Medusa and was a coral snake. And it was based on this neon coral Gorgon from the the Truvian Hacks line. I did not include an art order for her because that was outside of the scope of the art orders we were supposed to be sending in. But when the book came out, she was illustrated. And I think it was just because mm. the concept of a coral snake, a Medusa, was so Medusa. interesting yeah. that uh, Luis was the developer on the book, or uh, Eleanor might have done that chapter. I think it just intrigued them enough that they made yeah. a, a piece of art. Yeah, I, I, I really, I just, in general, love seeing art when it's finished and and stuff that I have had a vague thought of, of what it might look like. And then when it gets done and you're like, wow, wow, it looks so good. Um, it's such a thrill. It's one of the, as much as you make some stuff and you read it and people love it and enjoy it and compliment you on that stuff, just the, the, just put having things get made into physical, not physical, but just of a pick, you know, visual. I should say, it's, it's, it's just like the best thing about this, this kind of job, honestly, in a lot of ways. Oh, Jason, I was looking forward to this, and I think we really delivered. This was such a fun episode. Hooray. Yeah, yeah. Before we wrap things up, I've got some shout outs. So I'm kind of bookending this about talking about, you know, working in the entertainment industry. So my first shout mm-hmm. out is for Disenchanted, which is coming to Disney Plus okay. on November 18th, 2022. So later this, uh, later this week, even. Cool. Later this yeah, week, this yeah. This is a sequel to 2007's Enchanted, which for some reason is not even on Disney+, Plus, but they're making a Disney Plus exclusive sequel to it. Uh, it's for weird license reasons. So the reason I'm bringing okay. this up is that my day job is at Laughing Dragon Studios. And uh, for people who don't remember Enchanted, it was about a Disney princess, like a cartoon princess who gets magically teleported to the human world and is still trying to live mm. by Disney princess movie rules. It's fun. It's very tongue-in-cheek. It's a romantic comedy. And so Disenchanted will play the same thing, only now she's, you know, been living in the human world for over 10 years, but she's associated with people from the cartoon world. And Laughing Dragon Studios, our studio, is the studio that Disney hired to do the animation for the 2D animation section. Oh, wow. That's exciting. It was very exciting. And it was something that we can finally announce. And I don't think people realize that even companies like Disney use freelancers. They use freelance studios to do some of their Mm -hmm. animation, like you would think Disney would be able to handle all of their animation in-house, but that's just not how the industry works. Yeah, fair enough, yeah. So yeah, Laughing Dragon Studio did the 2D animation for the upcoming Disenchanted on Disney Plus this weekend. Cool. And along similar lines, the part of my day job that I, or sorry, the part of Laughing Dragon Studios that associates with my day job is Looking for Group. So for people who might not know, Looking for Group is a webcomic that's been published for over 15 years now. It's about Kale, a naive but heroic elf, and then Richard, an undead warlock, who is sadistic and is just, like, messing with Kale every which way. And yet they go on adventures together, and it has a lot of moral play, and it has a lot to say about black and white morality. A couple of months ago, I took over as the writer. And so if you have not checked out Looking for Group in a while, or if you've never checked out Looking for Group, you can uh, go to (laughs) lfg.co, and I just remembered I should have checked what issue I specifically started with, or what page, rather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I will say that before I took over, my boss and the former writer, Ryan Somer, had the fantasy world merge with this cyberpunk world, and so now it's this blend of cyberpunk and fantasy that uh, it's no longer the World of Warcraft parody that it used to be. It is really just this unique blend of elements. 
And so if you just start reading from my first page, which was 1629, you might get confused, but that's okay <laughs> because the characters are confused as well. So you'll be along for the journey that they are on. So yeah, lfg.co. And if you go to page 1629, that's where I took over as the writer. Can anyone named Ryan write this? Nope, comic? just us. Comic? Just me and Somer. Just the two yeah. Ryan's? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, after me, Somer either takes it over or we bury it. <laughs> Ryan's out there. Get your get your writing chops to speed. And I got one last shout out, and that is to Secret Galaxy. So this is the new name of Toy Galaxy. Toy Galaxy is a YouTube channel that's been going on forever. It's hosted by Dan Larson. And in the last couple of years, especially, it's become more of a pop culture um, mm -hmm. news review site. No, not really reviews. Uh, he does like, I don't know, like weekly 20 minute documentaries, just deep dive on a single topic. Like this past week, he covered Encyclopedia Brown. <laughs> there were kids books that were like kids mystery books and every chapter was a mystery and you could solve it. It doesn't resolve in the narrative. You had to then flip to a page that has the conclusion but first you had a chance right, to solve it yourself because every element you needed to solve the mystery was in it. And so he talks about the inception and then any attempt to merchandise it and to adapt it into other medium. And he's covered toys primarily for years, which is why it was toy galaxy. He's just branched out and broadened. But uh, Dan Larson is amazing. He's funny. He's really captivating. And I really love his ability to just pick a tiny little sliver of pop culture that at some point mm -hmm. did, you know, cross my path, was maybe even a major part of my life, and just go into every detail about it. It's really interesting stuff. So if you haven't checked out Toy Galaxy, or if you don't subscribe to the channel, now you want to find Secret Galaxy. Although I think if you Google search Toy Galaxy, you'll still find it. I recommend subscribing. I like it every single week whenever it comes out. Awesome. Uh, Jason, do you have any shout outs? Oh, no. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm good. Then thank you all for joining us for episode six of Upshift. Before you go, if you were looking for us, you want to go to nodirectionpodcast.com where you will find the Upshift. You will find almost daily podcasts and blogs related to Pathfinder, Starfinder, and other, pod uh, other podcasts, other games that might be of interest to people who enjoy our content. I want to thank you to our patrons. If you would like to support our content, you can go to patreon.com slash nodirection. We recently did kind of like a state of the network live chat with any of our patrons that were available on our discord we're going to probably be doing something similar every month just because at this point we still don't have a flagship podcast now that no direction uh, mm. both of the hosts of no direction are working for paizo <laughs> and two of our producers uh, so the producers of no direction beyond also working for paizo now so shout out to vanessa and dustin and Luis. so we need to figure out if we're hiring new if we're doing something internal uh, we're working on that and we discuss it in greater detail in that episode that is up on patreon right now uh, and also, this is probably not going to get shouted out weekly, but we're on Mastodon. We're giving it a try. Ooh. If you're not familiar All with right. Mastodon, that's M-A-S-T-O-D-O-N, which I feel like is not the name of the prehistoric creature, and not the spelling. No. That is it? Okay. I think it is. I thought it was T-A. Mastodon is trying to set itself up as replacement Twitter um, because right. of everything that's going on with Twitter right now. Here's the problem. Mastodon has a barrier of entry in that it's trying to be super flexible and let people have their own community. So like you could just join the dice camp and it's all just tabletop RPG conversations, but you got to know to find the dice camp. And so there's like, there's mm -hmm. several steps that are making it inconvenient for people to just jump from Twitter to Mastodon. So I don't know if this is going to work out. I don't know how long we're there, but for now we're trying it. 
So if you go to dice.camp and you look for at no direction, you will find us. You can follow us. And basically everything that we were putting on Twitter, we're also going to put on Mastodon. And we'll see where we go from there. Well, good luck. I don't have another <laughs> social media network in me <laughs> at the moment. I'll go. Hey, I've, had, I've got, I've got, I've got Twitter and I've got discord. And those are my two kind of like, even though Discord's not really full social media, that's where I go to just talk to people. Yeah. Discord is my favorite right now. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> me too. I probably use Facebook more, but I don't like it. I just Ooh, use it. Yeah. Mm. It's just part of my day. Fair enough. And finally, thank you to Word Burglar for letting us use Letters from Snake Eyes, Volume 4. This is the theme song for Upshift. You can find out more about Word Burglar at wordburglar.com. Until next time, I'm Ryan Costello. And I'm Jason Keeley. See you in two weeks for the next episode of Upshift. Our theme song is Letter from Snake Eyes, Number 4, by Word Burglar. To find it and other amazing tracks, go to wordburglar.com. This has been a No Direction Network production. To find more great gaming podcasts, visit nodirectionpodcast.com. <laughs>